We're continuing along with the chronological life of Jesus, and we are going to start reading in John chapter 7. John chapter 7. And in John chapter 7, reading from verse 2, it says, Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, was near. Therefore his brothers said to him, Leave here and go into Judea, so that your disciples also may see your works which you are doing. Now we're reading in John chapter 7, verse 4. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing him, believing in him. Okay, so it says in, in verse 2, the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, or the feast of tabernacles. It just depends on what your translation is. The feast of tabernacles or the feast of booths was at hand. So the Feast of Booths was one of three feasts that all male Jews were responsible to go to Jerusalem for. So you had the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths. All males had to go up, all Jewish males had to go to Jerusalem at that time. So this was not the Mishnaic Law, the man's written law. This was was God's law. This is something that God put forth for, for men to do. This is something that they had to do, and this is uh, uh, what was before them. It says, and, and so since it was the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, we know it's October. So this occurs in around October each year. Now, they go by the lunar calendar, not, not, not uh, um, our solar calendar, so it varies a little bit, but it's always around the month of October. So this tells us now, and the between the month of October, between the Feast of Booths and the Passover feast, this Feast of Unleavened Bread, is a six-month period. It is that next Passover that Jesus is going to be offered up, that He is going to be killed. So this marks the last six months of Jesus' life. So to this point in this study, we have covered about three years of His life. And now we're going to cover the last six months of His life We've covered, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the last three years, the, the last, the, the three years of his of his ministry, and now we're going to cover this last half year. So we're nowhere entering into the end of the, this final six month period of Jesus' life as we track through the the uh, the life of Jesus, the chronological life of the Messiah. That's where we are at this point. And in verse three, it says, "Therefore his brothers said to leave him." His brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples also may see your works which you are doing. Now, these brothers are his actual physical half-brothers. He had four physical half-brothers. In fact, uh, James is one of them. Uh, James, who who wrote the epistle of James, is one of those half-brothers who ultimately he appeared to James after his resurrection uh, Jude is another one of his half-brothers. We have a, 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 an epistle according to Jude just before Revelation. That's one of his half-brothers. And, uh, uh, so, uh, but he has four half-brothers. And they are now saying to him, go to Jerusalem. So here are the brothers telling the Messiah what he ought to do. And you understand the context of this because they're his brothers. The family members will take I mean Jesus really knew what he had to do. He didn't need religious instruction. But these are his brothers and they say, 
Therefore his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see your works which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. So here they're giving him instruction. They say, you know, this is what you ought to do. This is how you ought to run your ministry. They don't even believe on him. But because they're his brothers, they're giving him instruction. So when you understand it in the context of being siblings, you understand why they might be speaking like this to the Messiah so freely. Because these are his brothers. But they, they didn't even believe. And you will find this sometimes. You'll find... Uh, uh, and this has happened in my own life. Since my family's unbelievers, they will, uh, other than my mother who came to know the Lord about, uh, about 13 years ago, they will often give me instruction of what I ought to do in how I ought to teach and the things I ought to say because somehow they're my family. And so you see this type of thing going on here. It is the Feast of Booths and so that you understand what happens in the Feast of Booths um, we'll, we'll mention that in a minute. Now, Jesus says in verse 6, Jesus said to them, My time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go to the feast because my time is not yet fully come. And having said these things, he stayed in Galilee. He stays in Galilee, but he's going to go there shortly. He's going to go there soon, but not with his brothers. He's sending them. He's saying, you guys go. I'm not going at this moment. He, as he, he says to them, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. What makes Jesus different than, than, than other, other uh, um, spiritual leaders that, that people might make reference to? So we had, for example, the commencement ceremonies at, at uh, Rice yesterday. There was, an, there, there was an invocation, and so there, there was a man who stood up there, a, a, and he, he prayed, and he prayed in the name of God. Now, that is, I haven't heard that before at Rice. Generally, they will pray in the name of a higher being. I mean, this was a Catholic priest, and he even mentioned the name of God. But it's very rare that people will mention the name of Jesus Christ. And, and very often you can say, oh, this force or this higher being. If you get God, you get a little close. But they rarely will say Jesus. Because Jesus holds us responsible for our actions. That's what Jesus does. He holds us responsible for our actions. People don't like to use the name Jesus. Because Jesus holds us responsible for our actions. And he says, they're not really hating you. They hate me. And that may be the source of their hatred for you. The world doesn't hate you directly. It hates you because they've already hated me. When we bear the name of Jesus, hatred comes. This is what Jesus said. He says, I'm not going to Galilee at this moment. He's about to go to Galilee later on. Now let's turn to Luke. Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, now he decides to go, so the brothers have already gone, and he decides to go with his disciples into Jerusalem. This, he is obliged to go, because the, the law of Moses requires that all male Jews go up. And so he's required to go, and he fulfills the law perfectly. And, and um, so as a Jew, he's required to go. And it says in, in verse 51... When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. So he knows 
that this is the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. This is going to mark this six-month period just before the, 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 the end. He knows that the days are approaching for his ascension. And he's determined now to go to Jerusalem. Verse 52, And he sent messengers ahead of him, and they went and they entered the village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and he rebuked them. And then there's a portion that's listed in the New American Standard that's not in the NIV, and it goes this way. And said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. That portion. And then it closes with this. And they went on to another village. So that portion that I just said is what Jesus says in the rebuke. My, my Bible says there's a little note there that says some of the earliest manuscripts do not have that little portion. So the NIV leaves that portion out. The New American Standard puts it in there, but says that in the later manuscripts you find this portion, what Jesus actually said to them. But we do know that he rebuked them. What he actually said may be somewhat in question, but we do know that he did rebuke them for this. So he sends his disciples ahead of them. So they're up in the Galilee. The Galilee is up in the north. Between the Galilee in the north and Jerusalem, which is south of the Galilee, you've got to pass through Samaria. So we've heard this before and we covered this before. You, they were fine. The Samaritans were fine with Jews leaving Jerusalem and going through Samaria. They had no problem with that. What they had a problem with was anybody going to Jerusalem through Samaria. That's what they had a problem with. And you see that even reflected here. It says in verse 52, in verse 53, but they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. It doesn't say because he was a Jew and they don't like Jews going through Samaria. It's because he was, a, he was traveling toward Jerusalem. What bothered them about anybody traveling to Jerusalem? Remember when the two kingdoms divided in the days uh, of uh, Rehoboam, Solomon's son? They set up another mountain there, Mount Gerizim, and they said this is where people in, in the northern kingdom are going to worship, in Mount Gerizim. Jesus deals with this with the woman by the well. She says, our father's saying this mountain, this is where you need to worship. She was a Samaritan woman in Samaria. She was speaking about Mount Gerizim. But you Jews say in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, a day is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship. That's what they're referring to. They didn't like people going to Jerusalem to worship. Because they said Mount Gerizim is the, face, is the place to worship. And, and it says Jesus was traveling with his face set toward Jerusalem. That's what bothered them about this whole thing. Uh, so th- this, is, this is where, where the situation that's occurring. And then it says, it says, um, uh, it says as, as they're going toward Jerusalem... This is what bothered them. So, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, that they weren't going to welcome Jesus. Now, they knew about Jesus. Remember, Jesus had ministered in Jerusalem. Remember, that he had that, dis- that, that, that interaction with this woman by the well. And then they came out, and they saw him, and they saw his power. Nevertheless, they weren't receiving him. So, even if you go ahead and you minister somehow to somebody, 
and you think that, okay, now they're going to be nice to me. If they turn on you, don't be surprised. They turned on Jesus too. Jesus had ministered to them. And now they don't want Him passing through because He's going with His face toward Jerusalem. And so James and John, that's these brothers, James and John, among the twelve disciples. And it's interesting that, that um, uh, James, this particular James is not, is not the one who wrote the epistle of James. This particular James is the one who's martyred very early on. He's the first to be martyred among the, the disciples. John is the one who writes the epistle of John. He is the one, the, the disciple of love, who constantly is using this word love, loving one another. At this time, you see, he didn't feel this way. He wasn't the apostle of love at that moment. But at this stage in his life, people go through stages in their life, stages in their Christian development. So you can't judge a person, oh, I know that guy. I knew him when he first got saved. I knew, well, that's when he first got saved. Now it's 30 years later. He's changed. He's matured. So you, you see what James and John do. They are upset that the Samaritans are not receiving Jesus. And so... They're so upset about this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? So this is what prophets of old did. They could command down fire to consume them. And these apostles had been given power to heal. And so they said, you know, if you speak the word, we'll take care of it for you. Just speak the word and we'll go and take care of those people for not receiving you. This was their attitude. This is typical of young men. This is why young men in this age of about 15 to 25 or 30, they, they're terrorists. This is where terrorists come from. It's among this age group. Because they're just ready to fight. But also you see men who accomplish great things in this time period because there's just this, there's, it's actually... All of these chemicals are going through their body at this stage. This is the way they've been made. And they, they, they can be you know, really rambunctious and, and have great enthusiasm and great energy. And you see this in these young men's lives. They said, just let us take care of it. You just rest here. We'll go take care of those guys. Now, they were just going to call down fire to consume these people. Just like what had happened in Sodom and Gomorrah where, where fire came down and from heaven and consumed them. And Jesus is like, whoa, what are you going to do? No, no way, don't do it. Jesus was the one who ministered here. Jesus was the one who reached out to these people and now they're rejecting him because he's going with his face toward Jerusalem. And he turns and he rebukes his disciples. He doesn't rebuke the Samaritans. He rebukes his disciples. And he says, you don't know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And he went on to another village. So he ended up having to go around to another village. But Jesus rebukes them. He says, guys, you can't take this sort of attitude. Let me just say, in almost every instance, if we take on a fighting attitude, we're going to be wrong. If we take on an attitude, I'm going to fight this thing, you're going to be wrong. 
in almost every instance, I can't say every, but I'm going to say in almost every instance, it happens to me all the time with emails coming in. I'm like, you know, I'm just looking at my computer screen. And I can feel my ears getting hot. I don't know, just, just the blood is just rushing to my head. And my poor keyboard, you know, just, just if I could put sensors, this would be a good product. You put sensors in the keyboard, and if you, if if, if it if it's getting pounded too hard, there's a flashing light. You're you're typing something that you're going to regret. Just 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 send it to yourself and read it tomorrow morning before you send it out, because you're probably going to want to change. Have this warning come up. People would buy that. They would install this this app. They'd install this software. To, to do that, because I can just, my, my keyboard, it just gets, starts getting hit pretty hard. And I know that I'm saying something that I'm really going to regret. And I tell you this, not because I'm proud of myself, that, oh, then I catch myself. I don't. And a lot of times I hit return. Hit that. Then like an hour later, I'm like, uh-oh. Why'd I have to do that? And then when I've stopped, and this has happened to me even this week. I stopped and, and, and uh, something came to me and someone in the administration just, just w- was explaining to some of us all that they had to do. Now, when somebody sends you an email, just all that they have to do, that person, you know, is feeling uptight. You know, listing out all the things that they have to do in life. And they, they listed all this out and I saw all of these things and, and, and I just... And I said, my goodness, I had no idea you do all of this. That is so much. You know, when things are handled well, you never even notice all that's behind it. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for all that you do. And that person replied back and, and, and they said, you know, thank you for recognizing all that I do. Just, you know, what great character you have. And just diffuse the whole thing. Rather than giving that person back a list, well, here's what I have to do. How do you like this? Jesus' response in the face of, uh, uh, of something that is truly unfair, He responds with grace. If we in our lives would learn to respond with grace, it will change your career. You will be granted so much favor, even if you feel that, well, that person's not my boss doesn't matter. If we learn to respond with grace, even when people come at us in a negative way, Jesus is not responding with grace to people who have showed Him any grace. Well, I'll show Him grace if they show me grace. No, that's exactly the way the world feels. And Jesus is different. He says, they're not receiving us, they didn't receive you guys. It's okay. It's okay if they're not receiving you. Just let it go. Let it go. We'll we'll go to some other town. You don't know what kind of spirit you're of. You have no idea what kind of spirit you're of. What you're dealing with here. He says, just let the thing go. We'll go to another town. And if you let it go, and in grace, I'm telling you, you will move up in your career, in your profession, in, in your life dealing. If people who come at you harshly, you come back at them with something totally opposite than you feel they really deserve. Totally opposite. 
And on the days when I felt my ears getting hot and I've refrained from hitting the return button and I just delete out their name and I send it to myself. And then I read that the next day. I'm thinking, this is so wrong. I'm so glad I didn't send this. Then I can take and totally rework this, this email and just totally restructure it and say, you know, I really appreciate you guys and what you've done. I mean, the expertise that you have, it's so clear. You just rework the same thing. Or I'll, I'll uh, entitle the email, help, please. Help, comma, please. Because there's this feeling in people that if they can, if someone cries out for help, they're going to help you. And so now my response to them is an appeal. I need your help now. Rather than, you ought to do this. Could you help me? I need your help in this situation. Could you help me by maybe doing something like this? You see what I mean? It just turns it all around. That's what Jesus is telling them. That's the instruction. Take hold of this. I'm telling you, it will affect your career if you learn to do this. If you learn to be slow with the return button and just, just with the return key and just send it to yourself and read it a day later. You just, it just change you. And this same thing that Jesus tells them. Okay, so now let's turn back to John chapter 7. They're going to go now up into Jerusalem. In verse 10. John chapter 7, verse 10. But when his brothers had gone up to the feast, he himself also went up, not publicly, but as if in secret. So the Jews were seeking him at the feast and were saying, Where is he? Okay, so uh, John uses the term Jew in three different ways in his gospel. Sometimes the term Jew means all Jews in general, meaning that for example, when Jesus said in, in John chapter 4 to the woman at the well, uh, uh, salvation is of the Jews. That means through this Jewish descendancy, salvation is going to come. Sometimes he, of Jews, he means those who are in Judea, because John himself was a Judean, and, and uh, those who were in Judea. And sometimes when he uses the term Jew, he means the leadership, the Jewish leadership. Okay, so, so here he is. He goes in. He's not yet made himself known. Now, this Feast of Booze, or Feast of Tabernacles, so you get a sense of it, one of the three required feasts, what they would do is they, that the priests would go down to the lower part of the city was, was the Pool of Siloam. And in the Pool of Siloam, they would take water, and they would go to the, these steps between the outer court of the temple and the inner court, court of the temple. And there were 15 steps. They would stand on the first step and they would recite Psalm 120. And if you look in your Bible under the, the Psalms, Psalm 120, it will say a psalm or a song of ascents. And then Psalm 21. Then they would go to the next step, say Psalm 21. And then the next one. And Psalm 121 through 120, Psalm 120 through 134 are the songs of ascent or the Psalms of ascent. There are 15 of them, 120 through 134. There were 15 steps from the outer court to the inner court. Then this is what they would recite. And they would go up these steps and recite this. Then they would walk around the altar one time and pour out this water around the altar. They would do this for six days. On the seventh day, they would actually walk around the altar seven times and pour out water. 
This water, you can read from this second temple period in the Mishnaic writings. You read this, that it says there was such rejoicing at the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. If you've not seen the rejoicing at the Feast of Booths, you've not seen rejoicing. A typical way of, of Jewish writing. If you've not seen this, you've not seen rejoicing. And, and uh, they would pour out water, and to them, the rabbinic uh, uh, interpretation of the water was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit would occur at the, the, the uh, Feast of Booths. And then also, uh, they would light lamps, so many lamps. All the priests in training, all those descendants of Aaron who were going to be priests, priests apprentices that were priests in training, were to light every lamp possible in this temple compound. Get every lamp they could get and light it. And so there was these bright lights as soon as sundown would, would, would appear. And they would keep these, these lights lit all night. And they would do this for the seven days of the feast. And this light meant the Shekinah glory coming down. And I say this because Jesus is going to take both of those points and talk about them in this discourse. Uh, and this was, was quite vivid at the Second Temple period where, where this is occurring. And, and so this is the feast where he's at, and it says that the Jews were seeking him at the feast and were saying, where is he? Well, why such concern with Jesus all of a sudden? Well, it's because in Zechariah 14, and they well knew this, in Zechariah 14 it says that the Messianic kingdom was going to come, was going, is going to be set up, the Messianic kingdom will be set up at the Feast of Booths, or at, during the Feast of Tabernacles. In the end, when the Messianic kingdom is established, it will be set up, during the Feast of Tabernacles. And so they're thinking, this is, if Jesus is the uh, Messiah, this is when it's going to occur. This is why they're so anxious to see Jesus. And they know He's going to be there because every male Jew had to be there. So in verse 12, And there was much grumbling among the crowds concerning Him. Some were saying He's a good man. And others were saying, No, on the contrary, He leads, pe- he leads the people astray. And yet no one was speaking openly for fear of the Jews. What do you mean no one was speaking openly for fear of the Jews? I thought they were all Jews speaking. It's set up in verse 11. The Jews were seeking him because he's using this in the other way. Now he's speaking of the Jews in verse, in verse 12 as meaning the leadership. They were afraid of what the leadership was going to say. Prior to this, you will recall that the leadership had come against Jesus and said that he has a demon and he was leading people astray. The crowds never did. And that's why Jesus characterized the crowds as sheep without a shepherd. That they were confused. They weren't speaking negatively of Him. They were confused. But now you see the crowds have now learned from the priests, learned from the Pharisees and and, and the Sadducees. Now there's this separation in the crowds. Some are saying He's a good man. Others are saying, no, He leads the people astray. So you see now at this period, now there's a division among the common people about him. And, and, um, but they weren't speaking this openly because they didn't want the Pharisees and the Sadducees to hear this. Now in verse 14. But when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and he began to teach. And the Jews then were astonished saying, how has this man become learned having never been educated. So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but His who sent me. If anyone is willing to do His will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is 
of God or whether I speak from myself. He who speaks from himself speaks his own, seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is, the true, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. So you see, now it's the midst of the feast. We're not sure what day this is, but Jesus goes up into the temple compound and he starts to teach there in the temple. And it says the Jews were astonished, saying, how has this man become learned, having never been educated? So they view him as a Galilean. They don't realize that he was actually born in Bethlehem, just south of Jerusalem. But they view him as a Galilean. Certainly his upbringing was, was in Galilee. And there were no good rabbinic schools in Galilee. There were none. And, and if you were going to be educated, you had to be educated if you were going to be educated properly, you had to be educated in Jerusalem. This same sort of thing even happens in, in, in the U.S. I mean, it, the view in Massachusetts is you'd never get a good education in the South. I mean, if you go south of New York, you could never get a good education. Just, just not going to happen. And, uh, um, and so, sort of this Ivy League mentality. But they see this man teaching and they say, how is this man teaching? He's never been educated in any of these good schools. We know from what's written in Isaiah that it says that, that he, what Jesus, that, that, that uh, the Messiah would be praying in, in Isaiah. And he said, the Lord, my God, my God awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. Jesus was instructed morning by morning. Where did Jesus get all this? God the Father was instructing him when he was growing up. God was instructing him morning by morning. It says, He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. If you want to know the Word of God, you do not have to go to seminary. I'm all for education. You can go to seminary, but you don't have to be there to learn the Scriptures. And in fact, the person who knows the Scripture because they've come before the Word of God and say, Lord, speak to me and they do this morning after morning, they will generally, hands down, know more about the life of the Scripture than anyone who's been through seminary that's just done this as an academic thing. Because God can speak to us much better than the academy can. We can learn all sorts of things in the academy. But God speaking to man, God speaking to a woman who's willing to come with the Word of God and say, Lord God, speak to me. God speaks. His Spirit speaks to your spirit. And it goes deep within, and it's no longer an academic experience. My colleagues in the religion department have spoken to me of their concern. Their concern for you. For you students from Rice. This is their concern. That you would bring your religious concerns and questions to Jim Tour, and not to them. They're very concerned about this. Because Jim Tour has no religious training. They have the religious training. Why is it that all these students would come to Jim Tour for some religious instruction and not to them? This is their concern. Did you know they have this concern for you? They have this concern for your souls, for your welfare. That's their concern. And I just have to look at them. Maybe there's something here that, that goes beyond academics. But they're concerned for you. What could Jim Tour have to offer 
He's never trained in all of these places. I don't know. What do I have to offer? All I have to offer is what God has spoken to me. That's what I have to offer. What God has spoken. Just by knowing the Scriptures. I want to read the Scriptures and I want to just tell you what the Word of God says. That's it. That was the concern. How did he learn this? If you will come before the Lord every morning and say, Lord, speak to me from your Word, you will be deep in your understanding and you will be sound and I don't have to worry about you at all. My desire is that you would get so excited about the Word of God and so serious about these Scriptures that you would every morning say, Lord, speak to me through these passages. Learn to have a daily meditation time before the Lord. And let the Lord speak to you. Because then I know you will be fine. You may die next year, but you're going to die fine. I know your marriages will be fine. You'll have problems like all marriages have, but you'll work it out. If you are in the Word of God every day. The Bible uses two terms. It says that we are to meditate on the Word of God morning and night, or in other passages, every day. That's it. Joshua, chapter 1, verse 8 and onward. Psalm 1, Psalm uh, 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 Psalm 112. Passage after passage, it speaks this, that we are supposed to be in the Word of God every day. There might be a blessing for being in the Word of God three times a week, but there might not be. There is no such blessing prescribed. But there is a blessing for being in the Word of God every day. There is a blessing for that. So maybe God blesses for for three times a week. Maybe He doesn't. I don't know. But it's not listed in the Scriptures. What's listed in the Scriptures is daily time before the Lord. Jesus used to rise up while it was still dark. And He would go off to a lonely place and pray, it says in Mark chapter 1. If you will take this seriously... And get the Word of God in your heart every day. You wake up and and you say, well, you know, I'm just so rushed in the morning. Well, duh, wake up 30 minutes earlier. Big sacrifice. Big whoop. I'm impressed by you because you got up 30 minutes earlier. All those people in the world who bear the name of Jesus and get excited about Jesus and have to be tortured because of their witness, I'm not excited about them. I'm I'm impressed by you and you're waking up 30 minutes early. You see how silly this thing is? Wake up 30 minutes early and spend some time with God. Then I know you will be fine. Then I know you will be okay. If you don't have a daily time for the Lord, I am worried for your souls. Not that you're going to lose your salvation, but that you will destroy your life. Because I know how wicked a man and a woman's heart really is. Because I know from my own mind and from my own self the wicked thoughts that go through my mind every day. Such wickedness as I would be ashamed to ever confess to you. And had it not been for the Word of God that has kept me wholeheartedly in His Word, I would have fallen multiple times. So that when I read the Word of God and it says, if if a man touches his neighbor's wife, He will in no way go unpunished. Boom, and the fear of God hits me. Let the Word of God bring fear into your heart of disobedience to Him and to His Word. This comes by daily meditation. 
You need instruction for your career. You say, Lord, speak to me from this passage that I'm going to read today. And you do this systematically. Pick up the Scriptures. Pick up a book of the Bible and read it from beginning to end. Pick up and start reading where you left off the day before. And say, Lord, speak to me from this passage. And then allow Him to speak. He gives me the ear to listen as a disciple. That is the prayer that He gives us to pray. Lord, speak to me. Give me the ear of a disciple. Then I know your soul will be well. I know that your marriage will be well. I know that your career will be well. If you are in this book, long after you are dead and gone, this book will remain. It really will remain. You think, oh, well, you know, we've got more sophisticated for this. You're not so sophisticated that you're beyond this. This is the truth and the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. And I pray, O Lord, that You would so speak to these young hearts. Speak to their hearts, O Father. Father, I pray that they would daily pick up Your Word and meditate on it. That they could receive the instruction as Jesus did. To be instructed in the ways of God. Speak to them, I pray. Speak to their hearts through the Scriptures. And Father, I pray that You'd also teach these young people to guard their attitudes, to guard their hearts, the things that they might say. Father, I pray that You teach them to, to do as, as Jesus said, that, that when they get angry at those who even, even offend them, Father, that they wouldn't take on this other spirit, but they would just let it go, as Jesus instructed James and John to just let it go, just move on to another village even the way that they would react to other people. Father, I pray for Your grace to be poured out, the grace of God to be poured out in their lives. Let them learn from the ways of Jesus. And Lord, I commit their young hearts to You. Have mercy on them. In the name of Jesus. Amen.